Okay, um, just to introduce myself to you guys, um, my name is Andre Fischer, there's a lot of new guys here. I'm married to Anita, she is my taller and better half. And um, I have two wonderful daughters that are really deep in my heart. I used to be a teacher at a primary school. And I used to first be a grade six teacher, and then I moved to grade seven. But when I was in grade uh, grade six teacher, they, I think it was about the second half of the year, a little blonde girl came and, and, and joined my class from another school. And favoritism is, is not a good thing, but she was one of the, let's say, more favorite ones. And, uh, and, and, and recently, I thought, Yo, what, is, what has happened to her? I, I, don't, I, I can't remember. And I actually struggled to remember her name, but then I got it. And I searched her on Instagram, and I stalked her a little bit. Just, just, to, just to find out, I mean, where she is at. And, and this evening, I saw her here. And she's actually in this meeting now. And for me, it's so cool. Um, And so you need to make her feel welcome. And I just need to say this, you, you, Leah, you probably have a license already, done with school, and so I'm also now getting old, okay? So one of my grade sixes are now studying, have a license, so um, I, I'm, I'm feeling it. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, yes, so recently... Uh, oh, oh, let me just say this. How do you know your Andre visited Greece? Okay, thank you. So I went to Greece, and the reason why I tell a lot of people about it is because it had a massive impact on my life. Um, it was my first time overseas, and there was a lot of nice stuff there, but spiritually, it had a massive impact uh, on my life. We visited Corinth, Thessaloniki, it's called today, Thessalonica in the Bible. Philippi saw all the ruins, saw where Paul was in prison, where he preached. But I think the thing that, that impacted me probably the most was to experience the devotion of the Greek Orthodox Church. And um, I can't remember if I told you the story, but... For me, sorry, thanks for helping me, Ivan. <laughs> okay, uh, but for, for me, like, I, I, at first I saw kind of all the rituals and I thought, hey man, what is this? This is unnecessary. And then I got to a point where I actually saw people in tears. And I realized, yo, this devotion of them. So I firmly believe as long as you have a relationship with Jesus. So I'm saying... What I believe is all those other rituals and stuff they do is unnecessary. But I do believe we'll see some of them in heaven because I do believe some of them have a real, real relationship with Jesus. Um, but that has got nothing to do with my preach. Um, what I actually wanted to say is I met, there were a lot of great people on, on, on the tour, but I met two uh, uh, people on that tour and on the tour we actually find out that we stay close together and I invited them to church and they are also here tonight so I feel like I'm I'm uh, 
Yeah, so guys, please stay afterwards. Um, meet the people. Have a coffee with us. Maybe, just maybe, the Lord adds you to our congregation. No pressure. I'm just uh, mentioning it. All right, so I do want to um, look at a couple of things that something that I experienced on, on this tour. Um, and it slots in actually very nicely with the kind of the theme that we are uh, busy with now, uh, the theme called, Are You Ready? And I want to title my message tonight, um, I want to title it saying, Are You Ready? And then, is it the colon, double punt, colon, a call to maturity. All right, so last week, Roland spoke about accountability. This week, I want to speak about being mature, or actually more of a purity. That's kind of, so it's maturity slash, where's Justine? Maturity slash purity. Okay. Because I firmly believe, and Roland spoke about this last week as well, is that we are reverting back to the days of Jesus. And what do I mean by this? If I look at the Bible, there's probably more, but I can identify four major events. First one would be, okay, obviously the first one that I don't mention here, but the first one would be the fall. But after the fall, the first one would be Noah's Ark, the flood. It was a, a, a quite a big event on, on this earth. Then the Tower of Babel, where God struck the people and they started speaking all different kinds of languages. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, where God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and then when Jesus came to this earth. And the funny thing is, before each of these events, we read in the Bible that the world was extremely evil and wicked. And uh, so just in short, uh, when it comes to Noah's Ark, in Genesis 6, um, God actually said, uh, or the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in, uh, in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of, uh, of his heart was only evil continually. <laughs> Listen to this. The Lord regretted that he made man. Sure. Okay. Not going to go there any further. Tower of Babel says, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. So God intervened. And then in Sodom and Gomorrah, so angels came and they visited Lot to bring him this message to tell him, hey, listen, yeah, I'm come out of this city. I'm going to, the Lord is going to destroy this city. And uh, then the people of the town, they were so wicked that they came to the door, knocked on the door, and they say, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, that word know does not mean know. It is the word yada. And it is the same word that is used when Adam yadad Eve and conceived a child. So what does that know mean? There's children in the service. I'm not going to go further. But that yada speaks of intimacy, speaks of actually of a sexual nature. And what did Lot do? Leave them. Here's my daughter. Come on. Huh? How evil is that? When Jesus came to this earth, and yes, now I'm going to dig a little bit into, um, well, part of, part of the trip. But in Corinth, there is a big temple. It's ruins now, but there used to be a big temple um, dedicated to the God, uh, to God uh, Apollo. And in that temple used to be 
about 2,000 temple prostitutes. And so pagan priests would have intercourse with the, the prostitutes out of, out of an act of worship to whatever God. And then babies would be conceived. And what did they do with the babies? They would offer the babies. It's extremely evil. We, not to mention about the gladiator games, mass killings. We, you can ask them, we went to Athens. The whole city is full of stuff with sexual nature, sexual content, cards, ornaments. It's just, and so sexual exploration and orgies was also very common. Um, it was very common for Caesars and emperors to have homosexual relationships. It was like, it was like the norm. Uh, a famous quote by a guy, please excuse me if I don't pronounce his name correctly, Demosthenes, he said, and he's speaking about the relationship between male and female, he says, we keep prostitutes for pleasure, mistresses for the day-to-day -day needs of the body, and wives for the begetting of children and the faithful guardianship of the home. And so that is the way, Karl Oblach, um, that is the way, <laughs> that is the way how they saw women and how they treated women. We use prostitutes, kind of objectification of women. You can go read in Hebrews 11 about the persecution that, that they suffered. And why am I saying we are going back to those days? Here's a couple of stats. I'm not going to mention the website because I don't want any um, curious, I don't want to tempt anyone that are curious. But there's a certain um, website that have adult content on it. In 2021, there were 130 million active subscribers. If you go onto that website, you don't have to subscribe. It's, it's freely there. So that 130 million are a very conservative number. Someone said, I think it was Jordan Peterson, he said, teenagers today have access to more naked women than any king had over the history of this earth in one day. In South Africa, in the 2022-2023 financial year, there were 20,336 murders, only in South Africa. In a 2021 survey, it is stated that one out of six Gen Z individuals would consider them transgender or non-binary. One out of six. There were an estimate, now you can't really down this number, but there were an estimate of 461,000 abortions in South Africa between 2015 and 2019. Going back to those children being offered. In Mexico, this is just a fun fact that I heard on the radio, in Mexico, uh, the drug industry is the fifth largest industry in the country. They are employing 20,250 individuals per week. It's like, it's, and so can you see, and I'm not even speaking about the wars and the earthquakes and the human trafficking and all this kind of stuff, but the point that I want to make, and I want to scare you, and I'm definitely not a doom prophet, but the point that I want to make is, it sounds to me that we live in a world that looks a lot like when Jesus came to this earth before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, before he sent the flood. And so I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that say, hey, God will return quickly. 
but if I look around me, it can happen. It can happen today, it can happen tomorrow, it can happen in 50 years, we don't know. But the thing is, we need to be ready. Before I get there, I just want to mention something. You all heard that uh, in the Bible it says that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. Do you know that? Do you know that, that God will not come as a thief in the night for us who are in the light, who can see the signs around us? In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 to 4, it says, um, um, let's start at verse 3, it says, When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them, and suddenly, as a pregnant woman's labor pains, uh, uh, it's been uh, described to us, Quentin, so thank you, you. Yeah. Um, as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape, but you aren't in the dark about these things. Dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Why? Because we can see the signs around us. My question to you tonight is, are you ready? And we have to know this, that Jesus will come and he will, he will return. When he returns, he wants to see a pure and blameless and spotless and mature bride. That is what he is coming for. And just in case you don't know, we as the church are the bride of Christ. Not individual, together we are the bride of Christ. And so Jesus will return for us. And when he returns, I'm feeling like I'm going to kick this thing. Um, when, when he returns, there will be the most glorious wedding you'll ever see. And like in the Disney um, fairy tales, we will indeed live happily ever after. And we can't wait for that. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, it says, um, uh, Paul, Paul is speaking, um, and he, uh, he says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betroth you to one husband, that husband is Jesus, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Ephesians 5 verse 27, it says, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Revelation 19 verse 7 says, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Can you see that there is a readiness to happen? There's a maturity that needs to happen in the church. Joshua generation finest pm are we ready are we ready i want to read this i want to not read i want to tell you a story about paul and the idea of that is kind of to set a, a bar tonight of maturity and uh, obviously you guys know paul he's written i think 13 letters in the new testament but uh, he wasn't the, he didn't he wasn't born holy and set apart. He was like a, his name was used to be Saul, and he called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. And uh, he was so zealous over his faith that he persecuted Christians. And one day on the road to persecute Christians, Jesus appeared to him. So this happened after Jesus uh, ascended to heaven, and Paul was walking there, and suddenly Jesus appeared. Jesus said, 
Saul, Saul, not Paul, because he was named Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he was immediately blinded, and he was led to a guy's, I can't remember whose house it was. And then the Lord sent Ananias to go and pray for him. And here's what the Lord said to Ananias. He said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so to fast track a couple of years uh, later, Paul is ministering into Asia. Um, and Asia is now called, uh, today it's called Turkey. And he is kind of walking around from town to town ministering. But he says that the Lord keeps on shutting doors. And so he's not very successful in his ministry. And then one night he got a dream. And in the dream, a Macedonian guy calls him in his dream. And he sees this as a, as a sign from God that he must go to Macedonia. Now Macedonia is the upper province of Greece. Okay, you see the connection here. Okay. So immediately, Paul gets in a boat, and he sails from Troas to Macedonia, and he, he lands in Neapolis. And from there, he went to the town, to the next, the next town called Philippi. And so Paul arrives here, and there were no Jewish synagogue. It was a Roman colony. The Jews weren't there yet, and he... So, so Paul's thing was he usually went to the synagogues and then he preached and reasoned with them. But now here in Philippi, he went to the river where he saw people praying and he met Lydia. Now Lydia was, the Bible says she, um, she was a, what do you call it? She, she sold uh, purple goods. Now purple goods were like the royal color. So it was like the Gucci and Louis Vuitton and what is the other Michael Corpse and what's a the other stuff. Um, so it was the, she was a wealthy lady, all right? And so Paul ministers to her. She repents. She immediately gets baptized. Paul heard the Lord. His ministry is a success. Huh? He hears the Lord. He gets a dream. He acts immediately his first convert. Awesome. If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? If God tells us, go do something, you will be prosperous and you will be blessed and everything will go good. Am I right? Near, near, because right after that event, he prays for or he casts a demon out of a slave girl. Her owners dra drag Paul before the magistrate, 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 sorry, and he gets beaten. And the beating were not just like a says funny bester like you had from your dad or the principal. It was a beating. And I actually went and I read up. It says that when people were condemned to that beating, some of them would actually commit suicide. That's how severe that beating was. And so you can imagine it's kind of on the same degree as Jesus had a couple of years before. And so Paul receives this beating and he was thrown into prison. Can we quickly put up that picture of the prison? Okay, so that, that, that's the picture I took. Okay, and so the Bible speaks about the inner prison. Just quickly show the next one. It's a little bit, yeah, okay. So that prison, there's no ventilation. There's no windows. Their feet, their feet are, are fastened. And I think that prison, I think that thing is, 
You guys can, Sunay, Emily, you guys can confirm. I don't think you can stand up straight. A guy like Vaughn can't stand up straight in, in that prison. Maybe I can, but Vaughn won't be able to. Okay, and I don't know how tall Paul was, but bottom line is it was not a nice place to be. So can, can you imagine? Just, I want you guys just to grasp this. Paul heard the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He went there. He ended up in prison. Okay? And so Paul, with his feet fastened, probably rodents and cockroaches and stuff in there. I can just imagine this damp, smelly, not a nice place. Had every right to feel sorry for himself. Maybe he questioned himself. Did I hear the Lord correctly? Maybe I acted on my own. Maybe it was Satan that gave me the dream. What did Paul do? Lindy? He sang hymns. Paul and Silas did not sit there and felt sorry for themselves. They praised the Lord. For me, that is, I get goosebumps. Because I'm not on that, le- on that, mature, that level of maturity. I'm not. I'll be honest with you guys. Sorry, I just want to find my place here. Okay. So while they were sitting there, <coughs> praising the Lord, an earthquake came. Can you imagine? An earthquake that miraculously shook the foundations of the church, of the, not the church, the prison. The doors fell open and miraculously the chains, the shackles fell off their feet. Hey, daar kom dear. Let's make a run for it, guys. Come on. Lord has answered our prayers. Let's go. Not Paul and Silas. They ministered to the guy that put them there. It says in Acts 16, verse 27 to 28. Sorry, when the jailer broke, oh, sorry, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried, cried in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Guys, you don't have to put up your hands, but I think all of us would have ran. And I'm including myself. And so the point that I'm trying to make here is that this is next level maturity. The Bible, uh, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we need to imitate Paul. We need to, in times that we are hopeless, we need to sing hymns. We need to, but, but the thing that I want, to, that I want us to, to see is that this is next level maturity. See, Paul and Silas knew Jesus so well that Paul could write stuff like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like every single breath I take, every minute of my day is Christ. And if I die, man, then I'm free. I can't wait for that moment. He says in Romans 8 verse 18, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Imagine we can have that perspective. Like, Lord, I'll suffer anything. This is is next irony. Nothing in compared to the glory that is to come. Last one, uh, Paul says in Philippians 4, 12 to 13, he says, In every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty, and hunger, abundance, and need, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I have a lot 
whether I have nothing, I don't care because I can enjoy, enjoy everything because of Christ who strengthens me. My question to you tonight, if, if I use that example of Paul as the bar, <coughs> if I use that example, on a scale of 1 to 10, how mature are you? Probably a 4 or 5 compared to that. But the reason why I'm sharing this is not to condemn you or to put the, the bar up there to say you'll never reach it and or actually to, to tell you guys like you need to do better. Okay, that's not the reason why I'm, I'm sharing this. I'm sharing this because I want you to realize that you will never reach that level on, of maturity on your own. You cannot do it out of your own strength. Can I get a sigh of relief? Okay, you don't have to do it on your own. It is not up to you. God won't tell you, Vilma, look at, look at the example of Paul. Where were you? Oh, a four or five. Sorry, Vilma. It's not that. It's not that. It is God that do, that do the work in us, that does the work in us. In Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Ephesians 5.25-27 speaks about husbands and wives, but Paul used the example of Christ and the church, and he says, It is Christ... It says, Christ loved the church and gave up himself for her that he might sanctify, that he might sanctify her. That he may cleanse her with, with the washing of water, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It is God that will sanctify us. It is God that will, that will cleanse us. It is God that will present us without spot or blemish. I just praise God that it is not up to me to attain that level. Because honestly, I will just give up hope. But it is God that, that, that do the stuff in us. It is exactly for that reason why God sent Christ to die for us and not just that he died for us that he rose on the third day and we are living with him and every single day that we are living with him we are being restored to the image with what God created us before the fall and every single day walking with him we get more and more and more and more to that picture Someone once said, we don't stumble upon holiness. We do have a responsibility. It's not us that do the work in ourselves. If you go to any bookshop, you'll find a lot of material on self-help and seven this and seven that and all these things, everything aimed at creating in us doing the work within ourselves. But Christianity doesn't work that way. And that is the good news. That is what you but actually should, you guys should actually jump and leave because thank God, thank God there's not seven steps in the Bible to holiness. Thank you, Jesus, that you come and do the work in us. And our response should be, Lord, what can I do? What should I do? How can I help you 
to create this level of maturity in men. We cannot just sit back and think that we'll automatically achieve this maturity. Paul writes in Philippians 3 verse 12 to 14, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have had that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. We hear this thing, I press on, I strain forward. How does this look? I just told you, you don't have to do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. But how does this pressing on and, and straining forward, how does this look? I have four things. Actually, three things that we should do. One thing that we should stop. So I recently came back from a team building strategy type of thing. And with every kind of decision, they have this three columns with, say, assessment. What should we start do? What, what, what should we start doing? What should we continue doing? And what should we stop doing? Okay, so this is kind of this. What should we start? And for some of us, we need to start to do it. Some of us are doing it already. You need to continue faithfully with this thing. But then there's one thing that we need to stop, and I'll get there. The first one is accountability. Roland spoke about it last week. I'm not going to rehash his preach, but we should, we should start being accountable or continue being accountable. And I'm not going to go through everything again, but I do want to add the following. Accountability is not lacquer. It is embarrassing, and it's not nice, and we want to run from it. It's supposed to be that way. Why? Because accountability should keep us from sinning. Let's use an example. <clears throat> I'm going on a team building. I know there's a lot of beautiful colleagues there. Okay? Before I go, I tell the elders, guys, I'm going on a team building. There's going to be beautiful girls. Please ask me afterwards how it went. And so that thing actually keeps me, because I, I don't want to be that guy that stands in front of you all and say, guys, I've, I've cheated on my wife. Because that's what accountability is. So the embarrassment of that keeps me from actually doing the thing. I can remember, and I, I don't know um, if, it's, if it's in the video of accountability, um, but there's a picture that Andrew shared on, on, to illustrate the picture of accountability. And it's, and it's this. It's two guys, two friends at a shooting, uh, at a target, target shooting range. And there's a target, say, 500 or 700 meters away, and you lay there and you try and hit the target. Now, the guy next to you is standing with his binoculars, and you pull the trigger. You miss. The guy next to you tells you, now oh, you're about four centimeters to the left and five centimeters down. That's accountability. Because sin means missing the mark. And so you have the guy next to you with a binocular standing there saying, oops, no, you've missed it. Make this adjustment. Four centimeters out, whatever. You make the adjustments, you pull the trigger again. Misses again. Guy next to you says, oh, you, you're two centimeters out and three centimeters down. Make the, and you keep on doing that until you hit the mark. And that is what accountability is. 
It is not a calling out, why it is verkeerd gedoen nie. It is not that. It is, man, I want to see you hit the target. I want to help you to hit the target because I love you. Because Jesus will return for a pure and spotless bride and I want you next to me. That is what accountability is. The next point is humility. I've Penny made a state this a while ago and I wish I screenshotted it. And we can't remember, she can't remember. I went on to ChatGPT and I tried to find it. Here's what I did. Maybe it rings a bell, Penny, and then you can come. Is it low shading now? It's because the rugby is now, the World Cup is finished now. It's low shading again. Okay. Humility. Maturity is the quote. Maturity derives from the acceptance of correction and the humility to change. Going to say it again. Maturity, how do we get, how do we reach a level of maturity? How do we grow in our maturity? It comes from the acceptance of correction and the actual humility to change what you are doing. Maturity comes when you stop complaining and making excuses and start making changes. Leon comes to me after we had a braai and he says to me, the way you treat your wife or the way that you treat your children are not lacquer. I have two responses to that. The prideful way is, ach, wat weet jy? Who are you to tell me? Or the humble way is, oh man, thank you, I'll change. And it's not just, I'll change, but it's actually that you will go and change. Philippians 2 verse 14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. 1 Peter 5 verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, and it speaks about the younger in maturity, not in age, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The third thing, serving one another faithfully. And that includes all kind of service. If you come here, you back out the chairs, then you're serving one another. If you're taking meals to people, you're serving them. If you make a coffee for someone, you're serving that person. So I want to, back, back in the day, this, uh, when, I, when, I, when I read this, I was like in tears a couple of weeks ago. So, Back in the days in Hebrew culture, people didn't have cars. Okay? Their cars were their feet, and they wore sandals. And they would walk long distances to visit one another. Okay? So they, people, like the next town was like two or three days walk journey by feet. And the first thing that the people that received them, the first thing that they would do is they would provide them with a meal. Okay? But also in Hebrew culture, there were no tables and chairs. So there were tables, but they sat on the ground, on their bums, on the ground. And so it, it means that they were kind of like, Bible speaks about, they reclined at tables. So it was kind of like a, like a disposition. Okay? Now, um, if I was sitting like this, okay, and he was sitting like this, where's my feet? Right under his nose. Okay? Thank you. 
And so imagine walking three days, there's no shower on the way, uh, your feet are all dirty and sweaty and there's toe jam in between your toes, and now you want to sit at a table with your feet right under the next person's nose, not that guy. So the first thing that they would do is they would first wash their feet. The equivalent today is washing your car. So who, who can I come for a meal this week? <laughs> I need my car washed. <laughs> Good way to implement the children, eh? If they are in your way, then fun car. All right. But so the and 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 so they would wash one another's or they would wash the visitors' feet, and it was actually the second lowest rank slave of that household that would untie the sandals, and then the lowest rank slave would come around with towels and a little, um, what do you call it, basin, and he would wash the feet of the visitors. Matthew 3 verse 11, John the Baptist is speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. So he compares himself to the second lowest ranked slave in the household. But look at Jesus. He says, I lay, um, in John 13, 4 to 5, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus, right there, says, me and the lowest ranked servant in this household are the same. Jesus, the king of all kings, the one that was there when the earth was created, the one that know every single hair on your head, the one that we are called to serve, he comes and he serves us, comparing himself to the lowest ranked servant. We are called to imitate Jesus. We are called to serve one another. You see, humility... And serving goes in hand in hand because humility will lead to love and love will lead to serving one another. So now my last point, what should we stop doing? What should we avoid? Coming back to Paul in the prison, Paul had every right, according to us, to pity himself, but he chose to worship. And so we should stop pitying ourselves. Self-pity. And guys, I don't want to speak with a lot of authority here because I'm fighting this thing as well. Because every now and then I have to remind myself, hey, it's your children too. You can look after them. Okay? <laughs> every now and then when I feel like, hey, I'm working so hard. Why must I do this? Why must I go change the nappy? Then I remind myself, hey, stop me. I'm for yourself Stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's the thing of self-pity. <laughs> I can remember I was, when, I, when I was first convicted of this thing, I came home um, from a, a, a morning of sport on a Saturday. When I arrived home, I sat on the couch, took, out, uh, took off my, my shoes, sat, and I was just about to relax and watch TV. And Anita came and he says, okay, I must go now. See you later. And I'm like, this can't be. This can't be. 
I can't look after the children. I work hard to provide. I do two extra jobs to provide for this family. It is unfair. Where's your father? Where's your mother? You can take them there. And we actually had an argument. And it was a funny story. It was uh, an evening, and we, we had a real disagreement. I really felt, why? Like, this is unfair. This is so unfair. And that night uh, was a gathering. And during the worship in that gathering, the Lord very clearly told me, Johandre, who are you to feel sorry for yourself? Wie denk jij is jij in plain Afrikaans? Who do you think you are that you feel that you are entitled to anything? And then he reminded me of what Jesus did, of what Paul did. In, in, in Philippians 2 verse 5, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Not a death by lethal injection or some kind of pretty way. A death on a cross. A cursed death. Jesus came to this world that he created. And this world hated him. This world mistreated him. This world spat on him, chased him away, and crucified him. And Jesus had every single right to hang on that cross and to say, I hate this people. Look what they have done to me. Lord, I regret making them. He had every right to say that. But he chose to say, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. And that is our, our example that we should follow. And I just want to rehash this. If you don't get it right now, here's five things. Lindy, you can. I'm, I'm done now. Here's five things. First one, stay close to God. Walk with Him every single day and allow His character to form in you. The second thing, walk in accountability. Get people around you that you trust that you love, and tell them, help me. Here's my life. I'm an open book. Tell me. I want to be perfect before Jesus. So please help me. Look, it's your responsibility to look into my life and tell me where I missed the mark so I can change it. I won't see it as you trying to point out faults in me. I will see it as you that loves me and yet you want me next to you when Jesus returns. The third thing, be humble enough to receive it. I promise you, if I ask Luke to, to, to share with me stuff that I do wrong, but I try and justify myself every single time, he's, he's not going to do it anymore. It will hurt him. So be humble. The fourth thing, serve one another. Serve one another. And the last thing, avoid pitying yourself at all costs. Philippians, you guys can close your eyes. Philippians 4, verse 12 to 13. He's going to read it to you again. Paul says, In every circumstance, 
I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 2 verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to make the opportunity available for any person. And I want you guys to just not look around now because this may be a, a vulnerable time for some. Maybe you sit there and you're like, Yohandra, you've just showed me a picture of Jesus that I never knew. I can remember when I got saved, I saw Jesus as the man upstairs, the angry one, the principal, the, the strict one. And maybe you've, you've seen a different picture of Jesus here tonight. And you're like, sure, I want to know more. Can I ask you, can I ask you to please come to either me, Luke, Donnie, some of the leaders afterwards, and just say, here's the, here's the thing that I want to challenge you. Just say, tell me more about this Jesus. I never knew him like that. Just tell me more. I want to challenge you afterwards. Then I want to call the rest of us. If there's any area where the Lord has, has brought conviction tonight, would you just raise your hand? I spoke about being accountable. I spoke about humility, spoke about serving one another, spoke about loving one another. Is there any area where you just feel like, Lord, I'm convicted in that area? Why don't you just raise your hand? Okay. Can I, can I ask all of us to stand? And um, if you want to respond to one of those things, why don't you just open your heart and just open your hands? And say, Lord, I just received this prayer. And won't you come and pray with me, Lord Jesus? I really come and pray for every single person here, Father God. Lord, you are the one that brings conviction. You know our hearts, Lord Jesus. You know what we struggle with. And Lord, thank goodness we don't have to do this thing on our own, Lord. Thank you that you run the race with us. Thank you that you are the one that sanctifies us. Thank you that you are the one that will present us pure and spotless before the king you are like you are like the father of a of a bride that are taking the bride down the aisle and presenting the bride to her future husband lord thank you that you are the one doing the work but father we standing here with arms open we say Lord, please come and help me again. Lord, there where I'm weak, there where I pity myself, there where I don't love people enough, there where I, whatever, fill the blank. Lord, won't you come and help me? Won't you come and help me to be more accountable? Won't you come and change my character that when the correction comes, that I'll be able to take it on the chin? Lord, there where I feel, I don't feel like serving people. Lord, won't you come and change that character thing and make me realize that it is not about me? Father, bring to memory every single time where I feel like I deserve more. Won't you bring to mind the picture of Jesus hanging on a cross? 
In Jesus' name, Father, I pray these things. I remember the very first gathering that I attended as a Josh Jenner. Um, this was when, just when Heartbeat integrated and became a Josh Chen and we were invited to a, I think it was a youth gathering. It wasn't even like a big, big gathering. And I remember this 14-year-old girl coming onto the stage and she said she, she got a word from God. And she was saying she got this vision of a bride and she was wearing the white dress and the veil and the long white train and everything looked perfect for people to look at. But then she said, but her underwear was filthy and it had holes in and it looked disgusting. And she said, many of us are like that. On the outside, we look like life's going well and we look like we are this pure spotless bride. But inside, we've got little bits of of things that we're still clinging on to because we don't want God. We don't want to give those things to God. Um, and I wanted to say that if there's any one of you that still has that little thing that they're still clinging on to, like most of, most of the things you've brought to life, but there's still that one thing that you struggle with, whatever that is, if you are wanting to give that up, if you are wanting to lay that thing down, if you are wanting to really make yourself pure and spotless for God, don't you also want to come and speak to one of the leaders afterwards? Amen.